Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here. Uh, glad that you've joined us. I want to share with you uh, just some some snapshots of my week. I had a great week. Um, had a lot of conversations uh, with a lot of different people, but it's it's. Uh, Stories and images that have been flashing through my mind as I've been thinking about and preparing the message this week, and so I want to share them with you and get you thinking along the same lines. Uh, earlier in the week, I had a chance to, to kind of do a whirlwind trip up to Wisconsin. I had a couple of meetings up there and found myself visiting a friend of mine uh, that was in the hospital there. He's a great guy, I have to say. He's the kind of guy you'd like. I like him immensely. He's great. Uh, he is kind. He's compassionate. He's funny. He loves Jesus. He'll give you the shirt off his back kind of a guy. Uh, he's, he's just an awesome guy. And he's also an alcoholic. And uh, I have to say, uh, I've got snapshots uh, of his life that, that I have in my head. And I, you can just see the way that this alcoholism, this, this hang-up, and this addiction is really robbing him of his life. It's really uh, crippling him in many ways. It's wrecking his, his marriage and family. His family is about ready to take off and leave him. He's broken up about it. It's wrecking him physically, obviously. I mean, in addition to, you know, totally trashing his liver and other things. Uh, the reason he was in the hospital is he uh, was up on the roof uh, and had had too much to drink and fell off, fell off the roof of his house onto the ground. He was in a lot of pain, uh, couldn't feel his leg. Uh, his hip was kind of busted up, and so his hip was causing a lot of pain. So to cope with that, how do, how do alcoholics cope with pain? So he drank more, right? And so it's so much so, in fact, that uh, he ended up falling around the house busted his head open on something, doesn't even remember what he hit or how it happened, doesn't remember getting to the emergency room, anything like that, but he was in the hospital. I mean, it's, it's hurting him in significant uh, ways physically. And it's, and it's uh, really, a, I mean, kind of a plague to his own soul. I mean, uh, a guy that had once, uh, not that long ago, you could look at him and see the light of Jesus, right, shining off his face, and in his, his heart uh, was, was weeping and was, was, you know, sharing with us about how much he regrets that decision and how much it has robbed him, his life, his marriage, his family, and his own soul of life. I hear that, and I'm broken up about it, because more than anything else, you know what he needs? doesn't he? He needs to, to step out of addiction and walk out of addiction. This is not a one-time thing, but a daily over the long haul. But he needs to walk out of addiction and into freedom, into the life even that God has for him. The next day I visited another uh, friend of mine uh, who's, I mean, again, great guy, uh, godly family, godly couple, that kind of thing. But their marriage is in shambles. You'd never guess it from the outside. You but they've been coexisting in their home for years now. They've been living on separate floors even of their house, just sort of getting by, marking time, putting on a good face for the kids to some degree. There's tremendous distance in their relationship, not just geographically, but in every way. As they, they, they've distanced themselves from one another, they've cut off the relationship, so to speak. A wall has been built in their home, and it's affecting everybody and everything. And more than anything else, right, they need to see a breakthrough. They need, to, they need to experience a breakthrough in their relationship and in their home. They need to see, they need to see uh, relationships restored. Right? They need to see love and hope and grace once again flowing to one another. They need restoration to take over in their home. And one more 
I was talking with a few other friends this week and just kind of, again, this was just going on in the back of my mind and I'm kind of churning on this stuff. And uh, so we ended up talking about uh, some sins, the temptation, the things that plague us in our own lives, things that we desperately want to be free from, things like anger or critical spirits or lust or just you know junk on the internet that we keep stumbling into again and again and again, sometimes taking second or third or fourth looks at that kind of thing. And we were sharing about how these things end up lodging into to our souls and how it does tremendous damage to our lives and how we really want to be godly men. We want to be pure men. We want to experience a breakout in our lives and experience the freedom and God's cleansing and God's healing in our souls. How about you? I wonder if that's, I wonder if there's something going on in your life, some area where there's a wall, some, some barrier that exists in your life, something that is plaguing you, that more than, if, if you could just in your own heart and in your own soul be honest for a minute, if you'd say, you know what, I just so much, I want to be free from that. I want to walk into freedom. I want to see a breakthrough. I want to see a breakout kind of experience in my own life. Well, if so, you are in the right place today because we we're on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Breakout. And it's all about experiencing breakthrough and freedom in our lives because all of us face barriers in one way or another. Some, some of us face relational barriers, walls in our marriages, walls between us and our kids or us and our friends or us and others. Some of us have growth barrier kind of things where we've just sort of plateaued. We've stalled out in one area of our lives or another. Maybe there's, uh, maybe we're stuck, stuck in apathy or trapped by shame. Maybe, maybe there's sort of crippling isolation and loneliness in our own heart that we dare not even verbalize. Maybe it's insecurity that's really plaguing your life, causing all kinds of problems. Maybe there's some sort of recurring sin or temptation. Whatever it is, all of us need to experience breakthrough in one way or another. And throughout this series, we're sort of looking at some of those barriers, and then we're opening up God's book. We're taking a look and trying to learn some lessons about what he has to say about demolishing those barriers, about walking and breaking through into freedom and the life that God has for us. Because as we talked about last week, God's desire really is for those, to see those barriers come down in our lives and to instead walk into a life of freedom. Listen to just a couple of verses. These are just a couple of them we looked at last week, uh, but there's many, many more. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 puts it like this. It says, so he, Jesus, is our peace. In his body, he has made Jewish and non-Jewish people one by breaking down the wall of hostility that kept them apart, that divided them. And going on, it says, he also brought them back to God in one body by his cross on which he killed that hostility. He came with the good news of peace of you who were far away and those who, of you who were near. So Jewish and non-Jewish people can go to the Father in one spirit. I mean, again, just it's in summary, right? It says he broke down, he annihilated, he broke through the wall of hostility that divided us from each other. And he, divide, he busted through that wall of hostility that divided us, us and kept us separate from God. Galatians 5.1, we looked at last week, it puts it this way, it says, for it is for, what's that word? It's for freedom. Okay, that was weak. Do it again. It was, it's for freedom. Thank you, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, though, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Over and over and over, we see it throughout God's book that Christ came so that you and I could experience and live in freedom. We could experience freedom from sin, right? We could experience freedom uh, in, in so many areas of our lives that those 
uh, dividing walls could be demolished and we could walk in to a new life of freedom. Today, I want us to look a little bit more closely at uh, one particular barrier, this sort of barrier of ongoing sin, this, this barrier of persistent temptation that really plagues so many of us in one way or another. Specifically, the, the passage we're going to look at deals with lust, and it has easy application to things like pornography and some of that kind of stuff, but really, the, the principles behind it apply to whatever kind of pesky temptation seems to dog you from time to time. Whatever it is, recurring patterns and habits and hang-ups, those kinds of things that try to get its claws into our lives, those kind of things that oftentimes lead to walls being built between us and one another, and even walls that get, get built between us and God. And so we're going to talk about how do we sort of bust through, through those things? How do we find freedom and even protection uh, in our lives from those pesky temptations and sins and uh, ongoing kind of uh, sin like that? First, I want to start out. I, I ran across this picture this week, and it's just been a word picture for me. And I want it to be a word picture for you as well, because I think this is, this is a great picture of um, temptation and a great picture of ongoing sin and kind of the way the effect it has on our own souls in our own lives. I remember reading one time that there's a uh, uh, kind of an unusual, we'll say, uh, uh, way that a hunter, hunters, uh, Eskimo hunters in uh, Alaska would actually uh, go after and try and capture or really kill uh, wolves uh, in that day. They, they said it like this. Eskimo wolf hunters, uh, they say, use an interesting technique to try and catch and kill wolves. First, it says the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood, and he allows it to freeze. Now, stick with me, okay? Don't get freaked out. But it says he then adds layer after layer after layer after layer of blood until the, the, the blade of the knife is completely concealed. It's completely hidden in a casing of sort of frozen blood. Sorry, la, la. Next, it says the hunter fixes his knife in the ground with the blade up, and then he retreats into the night and waits. Sooner or later, a wolf follows his sensitive nose, comes up uh, to the source of the scent, discovers the bait, so to speak. He starts licking it, and to his delight, it tastes like frozen blood. So he, he begins to lick faster and faster, more and more vigorously, lapping up on the blade until the, the sharp edge is exposed. Feverishly now uh, and harder, the wolf sort of keeps licking in the cold Arctic air and doesn't realize and doesn't even feel the sting of pain on his own tongue. He'll keep doing it throughout the night, not realizing that he's actually now drinking his own blood. Sorry, but you kind of get the picture. And in the morning, you know what they'll find? A dead wolf, right, in, in, in the night. Now, now stick with me for just a second. But I think so often when we talk about sins like what we're going to talk about today, the kind of sins that happen in the mind, right? Sins like lust, things like pornography, sometimes uh, even heart things, heart issues like jealousy or, or some of those kinds. We kind of convince ourselves that it's no big deal, right? Where nobody else even knows about it. The only person that's even involved in it is me. And so what harm could possibly come? And here's the word picture I want you to see. According to Jesus, right, which we'll look at in just a second, according to God's word, every time you and I are flirting with sin, every time we're going, every time we're entertaining that little thought, it's like taking a lick off the knife. It'll kill you. It does tremendous damage to our own souls, to our own relationships. It's, it's terribly, terribly, terribly destructive. 
I read this week some research by uh, a church. It's called Triple X Church. They, they deal uh, primarily uh, with uh, people who are addicted to pornography or involved in that kind of industry on one side or the other and help people walk out of it and into freedom in Christ. And they've done some research. And according to their studies, they would say, and these are the ones that admit it, they would say 50%, 5-0, half of Christian men, of those inside the church, are, are addicted. They're hung up on pornography on a regular basis. Half. And 20% of women, they, they would say, and those are the ones that admit it, they would say, it's a huge problem in the church. It runs rampant. It's happening all over the place. And it, it would say 47% of homes say that porn is a regular struggle in their house. To which I say, man, and again, this isn't judgment. This is just the truth, right? It's like licking off a knife. It's dangerous. It does tremendous damage in our lives. How about this one? When we have been hurt by somebody, and I'm talking badly, right? We have really been wounded. Maybe you feel betrayed by them, and you start thinking about all the ways that they have wronged you, all the things they have done. You start magnifying their flaws and imagining what it would be like for you to have the opportunity to tell them off, maybe publicly, right? Maybe in some sort of a setting where, where their sin could be exposed and you would get seen as the perfect innocent bystander that you are, right? You start having, running these little fantasies in your own mind and thinking, man, if only they could get it, right? They would just get hammered and they would be seen as a fraud and they would feel terrible and it'd be great, right? <laughs> kind of thing. Now, that never happens to us, I'm sure, but maybe somebody sitting next to you, right? Where you start running scenarios in your head, imagining what it would be like for them to get their due. And anytime, friends, anytime that you and I start playing out those bitterness or revenge fantasies in our own minds, it's like taking a lick off a knife. It's dangerous. It's damaging. One more. How about thoughts of judgment? You find yourself thinking about other people's shortcomings and sins. Man, you specialize in that. You kind of take pride that you're up here and maybe they're down here a little bit. You look down your nose. You think, man, I'm so glad I'm not like them. I'm so, I'm so glad that I got my stuff together. Unlike these people, right? Anytime we put ourselves up here, and we put other people down here and we look down our noses and we call them names and we think that we're better than them. It's like taking a lick off a knife. I don't care if they're Democrat. I don't care if they're Republican. I don't care if they're independent. Anytime we're on Facebook and we're like, y'all are a bunch of idiots. Unlike me, I got my stuff together. It's like taking a lick off a knife. It, it's toxic to our own souls. It's damaging to our own hearts. Our thoughts, friends, can cut us like a knife. They can kill us little by little. Sinful thoughts, even when they aren't acted on, will cut into our hearts. It will separate us from God. It will bring division between us and others. And it will uh, harden us up towards the things of God. It will cause great levels of pain and hurt and destruction in our lives, friends. That's why Jesus warns us so, so very strongly. To do whatever it takes. To do whatever it takes. To put space between us and sin. To put space between us and this kind of temptation. It doesn't matter what it takes. He's like, man, we'll see in a second. Go to great lengths, even extremes, even things that seem jaw-dropping 
to be able to put space between you and temptation, to put space between you and sin. Because even sin that only happens up here or in here, man, it is damaging. It does great damage in our own lives. If you've got your Bibles, I want us to look at like three verses, just a few, uh, a short little passage. Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. We're going to camp out there pretty much the whole time. We'll look at some others, but I'm going to keep referring back to this one because this is straight from the lips of Jesus that deals with this stuff. Uh, if you don't have it, you can follow along on the screens. There's, this is also available on our app. If you want to follow along, there's notes and stuff in there. But just listen, and I want you to really hear it. We've This is one of those verses that some of us have heard before and we kind of explain away in our own mind. But I want you to hear it for the shocking statement that it is because this is is crazy kind of stuff straight from the lips of Jesus. He says this, "You've you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen to this. If your right eye causes you to stumble or to sin, what does he say? What does that say? Gouge it out, pluck it out, and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, what's it say? Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of the body than for the whole of your body to be thrown into hell. Can anybody just, can we have a collective gulp in the room? Right? I mean, it's like, whoa! Did you hear what he said? I mean, it's it's jaw-dropping kind of stuff. It's such an interesting passage because Jesus is saying, he's like, you know what? There may be some of you that you you feel pretty self-righteous. You feel like you got your stuff together. You've never actually broken what is the sixth or seventh commandment, right? You've never committed adultery. That is to say, you've never ended up in the wrong bed. And so you think to yourself, man, I'm in pretty good shape. I got this, right? Ten commandments, boom, right? I I got it all. I got this going on. And he goes on to say, man... Even if you haven't been in somebody else's bed, you can commit adultery with them in your heart. It's sin, too. It's damaging, too. It's destructive, too. If you are looking lustfully, if you are playing out scenarios in your head, it is damn. It's like taking a lick off a knife. It's damaging. It's destructive. It'll do damage in your heart and in your life and in your soul. In the technical sense, you may think that you're well within the boundaries of God's law, but I want to tell you that God looks at the condition of your heart. He sees what's going on in your mind. Jesus is saying here that you can commit adultery in a hotel room with somebody who's not your spouse, but you could also commit adultery in your living room, in a classroom, in a gym, on your phone, anywhere you go. You can commit adultery in your heart and in your mind. Whether physical or mental, both flow out of the same self-seeking, lust-filled kind of heart. And when that heart gets like that, Jesus is saying, man, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. It leads to destruction. It's a big deal. Such a big deal that he says, you should do anything and everything you have to do to, to avoid that sin. To stay away from it. To build a wall around it. To keep you from falling into it again. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin... Pluck it out. Gouge it out. It'd be better to, to go through your life as winky or something, right? One eye, one eye dude, than it, than it is to, to keep going down that path and see the destruction and even the separation from God that comes as a result of turning our back on God and pursuing our own way, going our own way. So don't do it. Do whatever you have to do to protect yourself from sin, even sin of the heart, even sin of the mind. 
I find myself asking the question and wondering, do you think Jesus really meant that? Do you think he really meant if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out? Think he meant it? Everybody's afraid to say, don't make eye contact with the pastor. (laughs) Everybody's afraid to say, let me just put it this way. I would say, you know what? I think his answer would be, yeah, right? If your eye is actually what's causing you to sin, if you could avoid that temptation, if you could avoid that sin by going through your life that way, sure, but I mean, I think more of what he's saying is it's a heart thing, right? Because we can be blind, we can poke out both eyes, we can cut off both hands, and you can still sin. I can still hate people. I can still lust. I can still whatever, right? I mean, because the, the sin is, is stuff of, of the heart. It's internal and external sometimes. But his point here is to do whatever it takes. Do anything, regardless of how severe, how extreme it may seem. Do whatever you have to do to avoid sin, both on the outside, but also on the inside, because it is incredibly damaging. I read an analogy this week that I thought was uh, funny and not funny all at the same time, but it, it was written from the perspective of a fish right, who's uh, tempted by a fisherman. And so the bait gets dropped in the water, and, uh, and uh, the bait sort of arouses desire in this fish, stimulates the thought process in the fish. The fish starts swimming around the bait, looking at it again and again. He stares at the bait, right? He sees that the bait is looking, you know, looking really tasty. He stares a little longer at the bait. He starts wondering the what ifs of, 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 of eating it. Like, what if I were to eat that bait? What if I were to enjoy it? I wonder what would happen. I bet it's better than, right? I mean, the, all the what ifs. He sniffs the bait. He nibbles the bait. He thinks, eh, why not? What's the big deal? Nobody will ever know. And so he takes the bait, right? And he's thinking, woohoo, we're having fun here. And he ends up hooked, filleted, and fried, right? You kind of go through that and you think, uh, that's sort of the sin process in us, right? It seems harmless at the time. Who's going to know? It's only us. And yet it is incredibly damaging. And so Jesus says, man, this is a huge deal. Do whatever you have to do to avoid sin. Pluck out your eye, or maybe more appropriately, right? Rip down your TV. Take a sledgehammer to your phone. Cancel Netflix or cable. Sell your stuff. Quit reading romance novels. Stop spending so much time with that person at work that you're attracted to. Get an internet filter. Do whatever you have to do to avoid walking down that path towards sin because it doesn't lead where you think it does. Sin will eat you alive, and it will bring tremendous damage to you and to your life. Instead, I think the question quickly becomes, how can I live the kind of life that's good for me? How can I protect myself from these pesky and persistent temptations? How can I break through that wall of ongoing sin in my own life? And I just want to look, I want to look at three things today. We'll, we'll hit them pretty quickly here. But I want us to look at three sort of steps towards avoiding ongoing temptation. And uh, if you missed last week, I will just say, make sure you go back and listen to it. You can find it on the app because those are all foundational kinds of things for this entire series. But today we're going to hit three, uh, and I'll refer back to a couple of things um, from last week as well. But the first thing I just want to talk about is sort of a commitment uh, a, com- a commitment that we make to, to living for God's standard, to letting him be the authority in our life. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. It says, how can, a, how can a person, how can a young man or a woman stay on the path of purity? And he says, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
We've got to make this an issue uh, and resolve this issue in our minds before anything else happens in our life, before temptation comes. And, and the question is this, what's going to be my standard? What's going to be the authority of my life? Who's driving this thing? Right? Is it going to be me? Is it, just, is it culture? Is whatever feels good or seems good at the time? Because if that's the case, we will fall. We will find ourselves living behind these barriers, entrapped with loads of sin on our shoulders. If that's the goal, if that's the driving force of our lives, whatever I want, whatever feels good, whatever seems good at the time, and I'm telling you what, you are in for a life of bondage and baggage and, and hurt and pain. It's, it's never going to end where you want it to. Instead, the psalmist paints us a different picture, and we'll look at a couple other scriptures too on this. But and he says, "Man, instead, what if we were to what if we were to put God and His truth, His Word, as the driving force of our life? That doesn't solve everything. It doesn't doesn't mean that just because I know it, I do it. But it's a starting point to say, what's the bullseye for my life? Who's driving this thing? Who's telling me what's good or not good? Who's protecting me with boundaries that they put around some of the sin? It's God. What if we were to make him and his word and his truth the driving force of our lives what if we were to give him the standard of authority in our lives with which we're going to base our decisions on how we are going to live on what we're going to do the real issue is am i more committed to what god says will meet my needs or am i more committed to what i think i want to to meet my own needs does god know more about my life or do i I think in so many ways, this is the real issue. Many of us know a little bit about God's standard for purity. We know some of the things we're talking about, you know, the whole plucking it out, not to look at a woman or a man lustfully, all that kind of stuff. We know these things, right? We know that Jesus says pride is a bad thing. We know that judgment or lying or gossiping, we know that some of these things are, are bad and unhealthy, but we have yet to commit to living and following his standard for our lives. We're still living as though our way is best. And it's not. Our way, friends, is sort of like taking a lick off the knife. Somebody once said that uh, a hypocrite is somebody that um, complains about the sex and nudity and violence on Netflix, right? I keep watching it, I keep watching it, I keep watching it, right? That's a hypocrite, right? You can do something about it. You can cancel it. You cannot watch it. You can get rid of it. You can get accountability, right? The reason that so often that we continue to fall into some of these issues of sin and temptation is because we haven't really settled the issue of who's in charge here. We haven't committed to living under God's authority. We haven't decided to allow uh, or to follow and to live in God's standard. In a very real way, I think this is the truth about us. I think oftentimes we don't really want to give up on those sins and temptations, so we hold on to them. We make excuses. We do all kinds of things like that. But here's the, here's the deal, friends. I mean, I, I love, uh, I mean, even in the image, the, the teaching of Jesus, right? He says, he says, it is better to pluck out your eye, right? It's better to cut off your wrist. It's better to do anything you have to do to live in right relationship with God. It's better to follow his path. It's better for life. The truth of the matter is when we finally settle this issue, when we bring alignment, we say, you know what? I've been going my own way and it's killing me. I've been, I've been following my own path and it's bringing destruction and pain on my relationships. It's impacting my life in, 
not good ways and we finally own it and we repent. Remember we talked about last week, we turn, turn around, we do a 180 and we come back to God and say, God, would you forgive me and would you lead me and guide me? Would you be the driving force? I want you to lead and I'll follow. You set the course and I'll follow to the best of my ability with your help. When we do that, you know what we discover? We discover freedom. We discover life. This is where the good stuff is at. That's what Jesus is getting at. So, you know, it's better. I don't care what it costs you. It's better. Jesus says, you know, this is the path that leads to life. This is the path that leads to freedom. It starts, though, with making that decision. saying, you know, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to make him the authority of my life. And I'm going to follow him. Second thing I want to talk about, about, you know, stepping out of this ongoing pattern of sin and, and uh, temptation in our lives is to manage our own mind well. It's the second thing. Friends, in our media-driven age, everybody, it seems like, is trying to get our attention. Every TV show you watch, every movie you see, every commercial, every Facebook post, every book, they're competing for your attention. They're competing for a spot in your brain and in your thoughts, whether you know it or not. Right? Billions and billions of dollars a year are spent trying to get your attention, trying to get an idea into your head, trying to get you to think about a particular show or product or thought or philosophy or whatever. And I think it's so important for us to realize that not every idea, not everything being thrown at us in life is good. We have got to be discerning about the kinds of things that we allow our minds to dwell on, those kinds of the, the, the things that we allow to take root in our own hearts and in our own souls. Romans 16, 19 puts it this way. I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what's evil. We've got to manage our own minds. We've got to learn to sort of not dwell on the, some of the bad and the negative, the tempting stuff, and instead learn to dwell on what is good and what is of God. I thought this was great. Steve Artiburn, in his book, Every Young Man's Battle, would say that Jesus' strategy to win, to lead to victory in our own lives, he says, it has to do with starving the sumo. <laughs> and he goes on to explain it. And he says, he tells the story of a young guy who was struggling big time with his thought life. He was struggling with pornography, with lust, with sexual fantasies, and even acting out those sexual uh, fantasies with sexual activity. And he says to God in, in the midst of this, he just cries out, God, it's just not fair. I, I'm just continually wrestling with this every day. You gave me these desires, and it's like I'm wrestling this giant sumo wrestler every single moment of every single day. It's just too big for me. I can't handle it. What's up with that? And God ended up responding to him in his still small voice and giving him this impression. He says, no, the reality is that you're wrestling with a five-foot, two-inch, 110-pound weakling who's no match for you. The reason that he's a sumo in your mind is because you keep feeding him day in and day out. He says, if you want to win, you got to starve the sumo. Isn't that great? If you want to win, you got to starve the sumo. Friends, it is a wrestling match. And I think maybe today, in, this, in our day and age, more than ever, it is a battle for your mind and for your heart and for your soul, isn't it? There's a battle that is raging in our hearts and minds, but it's a winnable one as we learn to starve the sumo and instead live with Jesus and in his power. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we read this last week. Let's refer to it quickly again. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedience to Christ. 
in order for us to break out and to experience freedom from habitual sins and temptations, we've got to learn to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What you think dictates how you live. It dictates your values. It dictates what things you eventually buy into and who you become. It's really important then that we learn to take prisoner every thought that isn't godly, that we learn to shut it down, spit it out, pluck it, <laughs> pluck it out, cut it off, whatever, and be disciplined in our own minds and in our own hearts. Every time a thought pops into your head, you can do one of two things. You can either give it center stage and think about it. You can rehearse it. You can play it over and over and over again. You can let it take you for a ride, or you can choose to turn your attention someplace else. You can, turn to shut, you can choose to shut that off and instead... Turn your mind onto something else. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but have you ever been in a situation where somebody says, hey, don't, whatever you do, don't look behind you. What do you do? Right? Right? We find us, I mean, if, if you're told not to do something, it, it's really hard not to do that because that's what you're thinking about over and over. And so even in this instance, I think uh, when, when the Bible talks about um, taking every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, right? The, the idea is not just that we, what we don't focus on, but we take it and make it obedient to Christ, which is what we do focus on, right? To take, to, to put our, set our thoughts in our hearts, in our minds on God and his truth and his goodness and who he is and what he's all about, right? There's a bunch of scriptures that we could look at for this one. Uh, there's a couple in Hebrews 3.1 and, and uh, 12.2 is real similar, but it says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, right? Hebrews uh, 12.2 says the same thing. Fix your heart and your thoughts and your minds on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says, says it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. By the way, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, says the writer, right, of Philippians. You know what he's talking about, at least partially? He's talking about God's word. He's talking about God's truth that has been handed down to us as well. Think about those things. Think on, meditate, hide those things in your heart. And the God of peace will be with you. We need to not only shut down the bad stuff, but we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. It goes back to what we talked about last week in John 15, right? The whole, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we just try to do this all in self-discipline, right? Pull ourselves up and say, I'm not going to think about that. But don't replace it with anything. We will fail. Instead, Jesus says, why don't you come to me? Why don't you come and do life with me? Why don't you, why don't you let me teach you how to live with me? How to stay connected to me? How to keep the gaze of your soul on me? How to have ears that are open to my word and to my, the leading of my spirit. Why don't you open up this book and hide these things in your heart? Why don't you think on these things? Why don't you memorize these things? Why don't you put them in your heart that we might not sin, that we might not fall to temptation, that we might be empowered as we remain in him to bear fruit, fruit that leads to freedom, fruit that leads to love and life and hope 
and on and on and on. Third thing, and this is kind of what we've been talking about all along, but I'll just put it out there. Minimize the opportunity for temptation. Minimize the temptation. Don't put yourself in a situation where it makes it difficult, right? I think sometimes the, the outward part of sin is easy, right? There's, there's steps, there's things that we can do that make it real simple, right? That, that, that we, like if you're on a diet, maybe you shouldn't hang out at the donut shop, right? Maybe, I mean, right? That's just sort of, it's sort of common sense kind of things. When Joseph wiggled out of that seductive grasp of Potiphar's wife, he left his coat, he left his cloak or whatever in her hand, and he didn't go back for it. Right? He, did, he didn't uh, turn back a, a few hours later. Can I, can I get that jacket back? Right? I mean, like, you know, he, he, he put distance between himself and temptation. It's pretty straightforward. Ephesians 5.3 puts it this way. And this is just a challenging verse. It says, but among you, uh, people of God, he's writing to, to those of us that are, that are Christ followers, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, nor of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. You're saying, put space between you and that. Don't even go in the same zip code. Don't even let your your clothes smell like smoke from that stuff, right? Keep far away from that. 2 Timothy 2.22, and this is one of about a gazillion places in Scripture to talk about it. This is what we're to do with, with temptation, right? Is what? Flee! Right? Even in the Lord's Prayer. Right? Do you remember this? Jesus is teaching his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep a big distance between us and temptation. Right? Keep it at a distance out there, not even close to us, God. And God's going to do his part of answering that prayer. We just have to abide with him, right? And walk along with it. I think the honest truth about some of this kind of stuff, friends, is that we don't avoid temptation, right? We go willingly. We just step into it because we're not willing to put the boundaries in place to avoid it. Man, I can't remember. There was some sort of hype lately, some political figure. I honestly can't remember who it is, and I'm actually kind of glad. But, <laughs> but uh, there was some political figure that was getting totally razzed because uh, he said he wouldn't be in a, a room with a woman that wasn't his wife kind of thing kind of thing, and the, and the media just had, do you guys know what I'm talking about? There was something about this. He just got slayed by the media. They were just totally, uh, totally trashing him. It's something that Billy Graham's done. It's something that others have done. You know what that is? That is, that is not them, that's not making a derogatory, derogatory comment or picture towards other people. It's, it was that person protecting themselves, saying, you know, I don't trust myself, and I don't want there to be even a hint of misconduct on my part. So I'm going to have some, some wide boundaries to sort of protect my own heart, to protect my own relationship. The only, the only person I want to be with alone is my wife, right? And I thought, man, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing, but they got totally killed for it. So often we fall into temptation because we don't protect ourselves from that kind of stuff. And this isn't rocket science kind of stuff, right? If you are, uh, uh, I mean, I was, I was talking with some friends yesterday. We were talking about this, and I was saying, like, for instance, pornography and some of that kind of stuff. You know what? At least dealing with the outward parts of that is easy, right? There's, there's, 
practical stuff we can do. There's internet filters and accountability software. I've had it for 15 years that, that monitor everywhere you go on all your devices. And if you go any place, even somewhat suspect, it'll flag it and email it to all your accountability partners. And I was telling these guys, I was like, you know what? I picked the people that I, that I would be mortified if they knew I ever uh, screwed up, right? And so I picked those kind of people as my accountability partners because it protects me, right? Because actually it leads to freedom. It puts a big boundary around that kind of stuff. If you're struggling with that kind of stuff, you know what, you could have your spouse lock down your phone. You could, you could, you could trade in your, uh, your smartphone for a flip phone without data. Right? These are, they're practical. I mean, again, does this seem shocking? It might seem extreme. Is it more extreme or less extreme than plucking out your eye? <laughs> right? I mean, to Jesus' point, he's saying, man, do whatever you have to do to free yourself from this stuff. If there is somebody that uh, is particularly tempting for you at work, there's some things you can do. You can provide some boundaries around you. Right? That's, if, if there's somebody that's like that, it's probably not a good idea to go on a one-on-one -on -one car ride with them for a long distance. It's probably not good to text with them over and over and over. Now, again, dealing with, with some of the stuff behind it might take some time, but dealing with the immediate effects and to protect yourself, outward, at least for the outward sin, that's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward. You kind of see what I'm saying? You with me? I mean, there's some of us that we just need to take this pluck it out stuff seriously. I can remember doing a message like this one time. Oh, gosh, I better wrap up. But one story, and then I'll, I'll get to the application. We'll be done. Uh, I can remember doing a... Uh, a message like this one time, and I got called over to a friend's house, a young guy's house, and he said to come over and bring some garbage bags. Remember the story? I've shared this once before, I think. And so I went over to his house. I'm like, I have no idea what he's, what, what's going on here. And he goes on to tell me about um, that he's been uh, kind of at least mentally addicted uh, to marijuana um, for like to the point where like he won't leave his house. Like he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't drive to Green Bay, which is just, you know, 20 miles away or something. He wouldn't, whatever, because he would want to have his next dose, if, if I could use that language. And, I mean, it was, it was doing damage in his home. It was doing damage in his relationships. His, he was afraid to have his kids or any, any friends, uh, you know, have them, uh, allow them to have friends over and stuff because you could smell it when you walked in the house. And so I was like, what? And so he opened up his basement door. And he had marijuana plants all over the entire basement. I mean, it was crazy. And so he's like, so I, I wanted you to bring the garbage bags over because I want to be free of this thing. And so we dumped <laughs> plants, marijuana plants, and I, I, we got huge garbage bags full. And we ended up throwing them in the back of my car. <laughs> like, you know, I was a happy pastor, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, what in the world? And we ended up throwing it in the dumpster uh, eventually and buried it and all that kind of stuff, got rid of it, but he wanted to be free. So I don't, maybe there's some just real practical stuff that you just need to get rid of, right? To create space in your life. You know what? I'm, I'm sick of where this leads. It's heading me down the path of destruction and I want to be free. So would you cut it off? Would you, would, would you, would you set some boundaries, right? Would you, would you do whatever you have to do to be free? Right? To, to create space between you and that destructive habit, that destructive temptation or sin. Well, friends, I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know how he might be speaking to you directly. Maybe this Jesus stuff is kind of new for you. This God stuff is sort of new. And you're kind of like, I'm pegging your weird meter a little bit today. And you're like, I'm not so sure about this. But uh, I'll tell you what, maybe, maybe today 
God's nudging you and just saying, man, why don't you come and get to know me a little bit and see if life with me isn't better than whatever you got going on. Maybe there's some sort of temptation or maybe there's some wall or junk going on and maybe today more than anything else, you need to cut some stuff off so that you can be free. You need to set some boundaries. Maybe it's time to starve the sumo a little bit and start replacing some of these habits and some of these thought patterns and instead learning to to do your day and to live your life with Jesus. The Bible teaches that there is grace for us, that there's freedom for us, and that even the living Savior wants to come and live his life in us and through us as we learn to follow him and live with him. He wants to bring about life to the full. So maybe today it's just time to turn back to him and say, God, I've screwed up on my own. Would you pour out your grace on me? Would you, would you help me to set some of these boundaries? Would you help me to get some accountability? Would you help me to, whatever, confess it to some friends and walk this out? Maybe you need to get in a group. Whatever I have to do, God, would you, would you help me to do the, take those steps and lead me towards the life that you have for me? Let's close in prayer. Father, we need you so desperately. This is stuff that we cannot do on our own. And so, Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would come and speak to each one. Would you just pour out your spirit, God, on us? Would you, would you be specific with what you're asking of us today? Lord, for those of us that are just uh, weighted down and we can see and understand our own need for you, we're weighted down by sin and junk. We can see the destruction in our own lives. For those of us that are like that, God, we turn to you this morning. We open up our hearts and we just cry out, we need you, Jesus. Would you come and forgive? Would you come and cleanse? Would you come and bring hope and life and freedom to our souls once again? Come and have your way, God. We Lord, there are some of us here that have just been going our own way, and today you're nudging us to set you as the authority, as the Lord, as the leader of our lives. And Lord, if that is, if if that's us, Lord, we just pray, come, Lord Jesus, come and lead us, come and guide us, teach us how to live our lives with you and in you and for you. We want to abide in you.